0: Hello and welcome to episode 10. we reached double digits on the Game Dev Grit podcast. And tonight our guest is Kyle. So Kyle, will you please tell us a little bit about your background, what you've done, and your relationship perspective on the game interactive space?
1: Oh, thanks for having me and thanks for doing the podcast. It's an honor to be on. Uh, so yeah, I'm Kyle, Man. I kind of kicked it on the mean streets of YouTube, but that market really dried up. YouTube's really strange these days, but uh, I decided that uh, I kind of wanted to get more into games doing interactive things for VR, because VR is... Now, have you have you done room scale, by the way? Room scale VR? and.
0: No, not yet. Of... I've only done an Oculus thing. I haven't done the other stuff.
1: Well, that's Oculus is really good. Um, but yeah, it was fairly transformative for me. Like when I tried it, I was like, wow, you could do anything with this. And my mind went to like interactive movies or just, you know, the like... Uh, so I started investigating Unity and somehow, uh, well, my girlfriend kind of runs the Vancouver VR community up here, uh, along with Adrian Talons, And uh, so we slowly infiltrated. <laughs> I did a VR game trailer recently, and then I got a job at EA. So like all my jobs recently have been game related and finally culminating with getting a job at Clay Entertainment, which is a huge honor I really respect those guys' work.
0: Yeah, because you came from the art design side, right? Like video production designs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like your background?
1: Well, that's the weird thing. So I guess uh, prior to getting into games, I was doing animatic editing. And a lot of people who are editors don't think about animation, which is surprising to me because like there's a lot of animated work out there. And as an editor, you have a lot of control over animation. Um, But even still, like I didn't consider games as an editor. I'm like, oh, you don't need an editor when you're doing games. But that's mostly what I'm doing right now is I'm marketing, um, playing the game, pulling out clips, and uh, acting as an editor for video games.
0: Okay, and you have done some personal projects in the space, right? Some VR projects or some stuff in Unity?
1: That's right, and I'm trying to learn how to code, but whoa, what a what an uphill battle that is.
0: <laughs> yeah, depending, I think it depends on, I guess, kind of your your state of mind. You know, there's some people that want to get stuff done and they have a problem and they're just like, God, I just want to work around it and like get this thing done. And then there's other people that have a problem and are just like, I have to finish this pro I have to fix this problem. And I think that's like the programming mind, you know, if you just can't let things go, at least from my perspective.
1: No, I agree. And like, uh, sometimes I'll find with my CG work, it's like, they are not going to see that detail. Why are you modeling that? But it's like, no, it's gotta be there because you know, what, what if, what if the model turns accidentally? And like, there's so many shortcuts you could make, but, In programming, it's harder, I find, to make those shortcuts.
0: Yeah, and I'm familiar with the background of some of your work, and you've done some super awesome CG work. You know, I've been following your stuff for years, so people uh, will post some stuff in the link so you can see what Kyle's done. So on the side with these game companies, so would you be part of, like, the marketing and promotion side of things?
1: Pretty much, yeah. I Will I try to touch code? Well, I actually, interestingly enough, I'm in editor, so where I'm using Unity with Timeline... to actually create shots and like uh, things that I wouldn't normally be able to do in gameplay. So I'm kind of in both worlds, but yeah, I'd say mostly marketing and uh, editorial.
0: So from that perspective, what is some of the stuff that's like the best, uh, I don't know, footage or source stuff that you can get out of a game for promotional stuff? Like what is, what is the cool stuff that you look for?
1: I think for me, the thing is clarity. Like it's so easy to have a bunch of stuff happening on the screen, but you kind of want to isolate each shot to an idea. Like, this is a person doing this, and, you know, frame it so that it's, like, really clear to see, like, the silhouette reads. And um, mostly, yeah, that's like, what is the idea behind the shot? Like, it's got to convey information first and foremost.
0: Okay, because, you know, maybe there's something you could pull out of what you're doing to help if there's game developers out there who are doing everything on their own, you know, how to best showcase their games and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, there's a really great website from Derek Liu. It's, uh, I think, just com, And it's, uh, there's a how to make a trailer section. And he has, like, a huge video, uh, probably an hour long, of just, like, you should do this. This is a good practice. Uh, just kind of rules of thumb. And they're really, really useful.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because I've reread his how to finish a game thing, like, 20 times. His other articles <laughs> are really useful. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to see that. Cause um, Have you seen his articles, how to finish a game, and the other ones he put out?
1: Yeah, they're really, really good advice.
0: Yeah, like... Some of the best advice I've found anywhere. I mean, because it's so hard and I'll tell you, you know, because I, I come from a similar background, the animation and video production. And small video games, they're still difficult, but they're manageable. But doing like a big video game by myself is like the hardest thing I've ever attempted ever. <laughs> I believe it. So, yeah. So- I
1: can't even finish a small game.
0: yeah like doing animation video production there's so much you can cheat with you know because it's all it's all about just what the viewer sees you know on that 2d plane and then Mm -hmm. in a game like right now i'm doing level design like actually building levels and it's like you have to build every single inch like from all angles and there's no throwaway stuff you know
1: if you don't do it right they fall through the level and it's broken
0: (laughs) yeah and it's just i mean it's like you have to polish every bit of the level. I mean, if you're trying to make a good game, you know, to make it interesting. And I find that, like my design side, really challenging. And I, I've just been like looking all over the internet for some like different workflow tips and just some approaches um, to try to make it like look and be interesting, you know? Yeah. So on the, the side of you using Unity and programming, so you would be like a designer going into programming, right? From the design side, visual side and storytelling. Yes. yes. So you said programming was difficult to learn. What's the hardest thing about it? Like what's the thing that just like, you know, makes you hit the wall when you start looking at it?
1: I think it's just uh, because it is a new language, having to look up every single thing. So like I'll find the the right, you know, kind of magic word to say to the computer for it to understand what I want. And then like, okay, well, what's next? And then I have to look up the next. And it just is such a slow, laborious process for me to, because it's just not, it's an entirely new language. I just don't know it.
0: Yeah. What IDE were you using? Visual Studio or which one do you know um, that you were, were you using to program?
1: Visual Studio. But uh, I mean, I first started with Playmaker uh, because you recommended it. And I really love Playmaker. Actually, I have a great time in Playmaker.
0: Yeah. Playmaker is awesome. It just depends on the project, I think. Like, sure. again, smaller projects, those those visual coding systems, I've tried a bunch of them. You know, I did too much Playmaker. Um, they're <laughs> great. But for bigger projects, it's if you're going to have complex mechanics and stuff, it just starts getting unwieldy. Um,
1: oh, yeah, like manager, 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 manager. Yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> and just... Unless I mean, that's the thing that I, I tell people now, like, even if you're using Playmaker, you're programming. So it helps to, like, read the books on clean code and, like, programming patterns because, you know, I got really dangerous with Playmaker where I knew how to use all the stuff, but I didn't know anything about proper programming. So mm-hmm. I was just making big messes. And then um, once I learned something just about, like, the cool thing with code versus Playmaker is that, you know, you can make you know, one script or one class to do something like um, my damager script or class. So every time you want to damage something, use this script. And so then, you know, if you want to change it, you have that one place you're always going back to because all these different objects are using the same class or same script. But with Playmaker, it's really easy to have, you know, 20 different things that are damaging stuff and have a different state machine that's doing damage. You know, so then when you want to change like, you know, how you're doing damage, you have to go through all these different objects and all these different state machines. So um, the actually the last guest on the show, Brad, he uses Playmaker too. I was asking him if he had discovered Run FSM. Have you discovered that action Run FSM?
1: Yeah, very late into my Playmaker, just before I gave it up, like, <laughs> it is actually pretty cool.
0: Yeah, because that's one of the powerful things where it's like kind of borrowing from the programming space. Because you make one FSM and then embed it into run FSM and then now every time you want to change it, you just update that one template FSM that's inside of it, which greatly simplifies things. But um, Yeah, you, just,
1: you pass in, oh, it's this enemy and it's this, yeah, so it makes a lot of sense to do things that way.
0: Yeah, and that comes from either trial and error or learning how you're supposed to do things because, um, you know, you're not supposed to... You're not supposed to duplicate anything. You're not supposed to have the same code in more than one place if it's doing the same thing. Just have it in one place and manage that. Yeah, um, totally. But the thing I was saying about the the IDE, because something that really helped me when I started programming was using the IntelliSense. So that's like the little helper keywords that pop up when you hover over stuff in code, and it there was kind of
1: suggest things, right?
0: Yeah, and I'm not sure the state of it now if it's built in. I had bought this um, asset called IntelliSense. I don't remember what it's called, but it's something IntelliSense, and so it installed pretty much all of the Unity um, documentation inside, like on your hard drive. And then whenever you hovered over any code, then it to- it brought up the documentation. You know, so it showed Ooh. you. All the capabilities. So if you go over Raycast, then it would show you how to properly format Raycast and what goes in there. And, you know, and I found that really helpful. So anybody out there, or you Kyle, if you're still looking into that, make sure you have the IntelliSense working properly so you can see that stuff. Um, That's
1: really interesting. Yeah, I know it yells at me when I like misplace a semicolon or whatever, but that sounds like a whole new level. That's crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because so much of it is just like, you know, because you'll Google and be like, okay, yeah, use a raycast. You know, someone will just say, you know, the frustrations of searching Unity answers or Stack Overflow, right? It's just like so easy. Oh, just use an overlap sphere, you know? Yeah. Use a non-allocating overlap sphere. Cool, thanks, dude, you know? And then you go and maybe you find it and you're like, overlap sphere. Okay, physics, you know, dot overlap sphere. Okay, what do I put in here? Like, what, a transform, a vector three? Ah. But when you have the IntelliSense, you just hover over and it tells you what to put in. And it also tells you what it puts out. So I found that really, really helpful. You know, you come to like just know it, memorize it over time. But um, stuff like that is very helpful. But uh, I I think that's why
1: I like things like Flow Canvas, because you cannot connect things that do not go together. Like it's the wrong variable type. So it's really hard to mess up some of those. Like I think Bolt does the same thing where it has to be a like type.
0: When yeah it does it? Mm-hmm. how do you like actually that's the only one i haven't used i have bolt i haven't used that's paradox notion the same guys that make slate or same guy right yeah. the flow canvas yeah how have you found yeah, that a, one?
1: Oh, i really like it i actually got on a humble bundle unfortunately I, don't, I haven't seen a unity humble bundle since but i think it was like boy like twenty dollars for like three hundred dollars worth of assets and you know i'm addicted to assets <laughs>
0: Yeah, we're gonna to have to compare our asset list because I know I've spent several thousand dollars on them. So I know
1: I was like, man, look at all this like Unity's free, Cinema 4D costs money, and oh yeah, but then like, oh no, I bought so many things.
0: <laughs> Since you have a, a a CG background, what's your experience with? Have you used any of the like quote modeling tools inside of a Unity, like Pro Builder or Umodeler Modeler or any of that stuff?
1: Yeah, uh, Pro Builder's all right. I, I think it's really, I mean, it's pretty astounding but like i think for me personally i just want to work in cinema 4d i'm just more comfortable in it
0: so have you uh, what, what 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 would your workflow be like mine's kind of like you know i'll just put together primitives for the size of the thing and then recently i found this really cool free um fbx exporter made by unity and it sends it out with the position that's in and then you can bring it into cinema and you know do whatever you want and bring it back and it's already there what's your workflow been like if you've done that
1: yeah, exactly the same thing. Um I think I sent it to you the scene track uh oh, plugin.
0: Yeah, that thing's awesome.
1: It's incredible. Uh the thing is like sometimes when I try to import it into a project at work, like there's just something that makes it really angry and it just crashes the project and I can't quite figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stuff so, is it's weird. It's so contingent upon other things, right?
0: Yeah, so you do a similar thing, so you just make like proxy models and then send them to Cinema and then do all your magic.
1: Yeah, mostly I try to make things modular. Uh, I haven't really done a whole lot of level construction. Mostly in my VR experiences, you're kind of in one spot, so I can kind of set it up like a diorama.
0: Oh, okay. Man, that's a lot easier to build things, I would imagine, right? If you can't move around?
1: Yes. Yeah, although it's very frustrating for the player because it's like, what do I do? (laughs) You're stuck there, and it's very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a whole new approach. You probably have to have like just books written on how to handle vr experiences we can't move right because that's a whole different thing
1: well the, you can definitely have movement in vr but uh i i think for the scope of my games most of the stuff has been for instance uh i've been working on this game called uh was it speedy and irritable simulator which is a fast and furious parody where you're trying to go get ice cream with vin diesel because mm-hmm. i had a vin diesel model you know uh, mm-hmm. who doesn't um mm-hmm. so you're just in the car with them and like the only thing you can do is smack them so like but I kind of want to like leave the car. Like you, I just feel like because I approach that as a stationary. Like, what else is there? Like you kind of exhaust your possibilities in a car very quickly, right?
0: Let me ask you this: since you've done some VR stuff, because um, recently I had a little game I had out at the street festival. So my playtesting was me standing next to the person. I could see their hands on the control. I could see them up on the screen, which is very helpful to see what what's not working, working. How do you test VR games, like, with someone? Can you see what they're doing, or how, how does that work?
1: Yes, yeah, so you will see through their eyes, but uh, mostly body language. Like, you can see when people are kind of like, they slump, or like, they kind of, I don't know, like, the kind of, the body language is pretty clear to see.
0: So they just kind of, like, wilt, and you know that's not good?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's almost like you're performing in VR. It's really interesting. Like, no matter the game, people tend to, like, act in a, in a very strange way like it's 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 quite it's almost like being a kid and playing
0: so what would be like the death knell of a vr test them taking the headset off and just being like i don't know <laughs> would that be the yep yeah,
1: pretty much yeah yeah
0: <laughs> and what would be the best test like the best possible like wow this you know people love this
1: I don't know if it's the best, but I remember we demo a lot of VR games for people in the Vancouver VR community, and we had a psychologist in. And I figured, oh, a psychologist, you know, they'll be able to discern that this is fantasy, and they don't have like a bodily reaction when there's a monster close to them. But this guy was like rolling around on the ground, like scrambling <laughs> to get away from the zombie. I thought I was like, that's really interesting.
0: <laughs> Did he really roll on the ground?
1: Yeah, he almost like pulled the headset, like my laptop, off the table. He was like running so fast.
0: Whoa, that's pretty good.
1: So that's the mark of success.
0: How would you run in it?
1: Well, that's the thing: is you only have a limited amount of play space. Like you have a physical space, so um, there's a wall that shows up. Like don't go past this wall, almost like the holodeck. But people just ignore that when the when they're in the heat of the moment, right?
0: Oh, okay. So see, I don't know all the terminology. So you've made experiences or project games where you can actually move, like when like ten the ten by ten foot thing or something like that.
1: Yeah, well, room scale VR is kind of set up so that you set up a boundary. Uh, mostly, it's you have two sensors um, that are basically dictating what your play space is, and you can actually walk around in that like a holodeck. Um, and some games have forced locomotion where you actually like force yourself to walk or you teleport. Um, so there's, but the thing is, that makes you sick because it's a very unnatural thing to be like moving without your body feeling like your inner mm-hmm. ear feeling like you're moving. So some people have a, a very nauseous reaction to that.
0: So like in a physical testing, would you put like a little physical boundary, like to keep them from going further? Or it's just kind of like you said, in game, like a wall? Is that the strategy?
1: Yeah, in game, they'll, they'll be like almost like a grid that pops up like an electric force field. But again, people will just ignore that.
0: <laughs> Ideally, would you have physical walls or would then they then like hurt themselves?
1: Well, that's one of the interesting things, developments in VR. One of the more lucrative uh, uses of it, I've, from what I've heard, is location-based. And that's like the void, where there's actually walls that are physical walls mapped out to the space in the game. So you, when you reach out, you actually touch a wall or a character sometimes.
0: Yeah, that seems like it'd be the coolest thing. Like if you just had some like crappy warehouse, you rented it out and then just built like cheap walls for like the maze of the game, right? And then
1: That'd be so cool. Yeah, and they have things like pads that vibrate, so it sounds feels like you're moving on, like, a train or, like, heat guns that are, like, blowing at you because lava's there. It's, it's really immersive.
0: How do they map out, like, the physical space of the CG one? Just, like, measuring distances or something? Or how do they do that?
1: Yeah, they must. Yeah, and uh, I, I imagine it'd be pretty difficult because, like, if it's off by just a little bit, you get drift, and you could run into a wall.
0: <laughs> yeah, the kind of the coolest thing would, like, if you just had, like, a tiny room, and, you know, you can, you put anywhere in an office or wherever and just shut the door and leave people in there. And you've had a game like mapped out just for that room.
1: Yeah. I want to do that with my house. Like, you know, take my room, make it a really cool room and just get home, put on the headset. And oh man, my room's really nice.
0: Like an unescapable nightmare. for People you don't like.
1: <laughs> yeah. You could just switch your room around. Yeah. That's actually, need-
0: that sounds exciting. Um, doing stuff like that. Cause I, when I did a little bit of work for actually, um, A guy we've had on the podcast, Jacob, he was our first outdoor guest. We were talking about VR and I did some work for him. So he let me borrow – this was like really early. It was a DK1 Oculus Mm -hmm. and I tried like everything I could find and yeah, the only ones I thought were cool or didn't make me sick were the ones where like you were inside of a mech or you were inside of some bigger thing that was moving as far as movement goes.
1: Yeah, that definitely helps to have that reference point that's not moving. So she's like, oh, okay, I'm inside something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we talked with him about um, doing your early projects, like in VR, is kind of like training in like a thousand times Earth gravity because, like, you know, working in the game space and all these new tools are hard enough. But then now you have two cameras and like the overhead that comes along with those.
1: Right. Yeah. Performance is an issue. That's for sure.
0: So. I mean, what's the strategy? Is it just like working to make a mobile game or like to, to meet mobile requirements?
1: Yeah, that's a really good uh, benchmark to go for because uh, you need to get 90 frames. And actually the new Valve headset, I think goes up to like 144 frames <laughs> per second with both eyes. It's uh, crazy amounts of performance needed. So I, I think like, yeah, heavy, heavy LOD, heavy, heavy, uh, like kind of Um, Yeah, just getting draw calls down really.
0: Yeah. So VR creators need to be masters of optimization then.
1: Yeah, but I haven't really gotten to that phase yet. So I haven't got, I, I basically just do it as I go. Okay.
0: Cause if it says it's 144 frames, then you actually need it to run at 288, right?
1: Um, actually I'm not sure. I guess you would.
0: Cause I thought it was like, if it needs to run at 60, then it needs to run at 120. Like it doubles it because of the two eyes or something.
1: Oh, no, the, uh, there's some stuff that's happened in Unity with like a single pass uh, instancing, so it doesn't have to render two cameras. It's it's very strange. There's a lot of tech that I don't understand in it, but uh, it's, you don't have to double your frame rate now.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because when I was working on those projects with him, yeah, you needed double the frame rate. So it was just like, dude, I don't want to do this.
1: <laughs> yeah, what a nightmare.
0: Oh, that yeah, that makes it a lot easier. So what are some of the things conceptually that excite you about the game space versus um, CG and narrative stuff and VR, the differences, you know, looking at the two spaces?
1: I mean, I, so the cop-out to say player agency, like, it's just something really exciting about being part of a story and, and kind of shaping it or just exploring in a space. Like, I mean, you're a 3D modeler, like, could you imagine putting on a headset and like, Kind of walking around your 3d model like it's an amazing experience
0: yeah see i need to hear some more of that stuff and think about that because like the phase i'm in i've been working on this big game for so long and i'm doing this level design and i'm just like i got to the point where i'm like this is so boring i hate this and I'm, i have to like talk to myself and be like wait why am i doing this and so stuff like that like yeah i can just dis- if anything i can display my works and people can experience them in them in 3d which is kind of cool
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always like watching your films. I've always wanted to go into those worlds and that's pretty cool that we get to very soon.
0: Yeah. And and I mean, I've seen some of the stuff that you've made and I imagine having it, you know, just dropping a camera in there and letting people explore it is pretty exciting.
1: It's super weird. Like uh, for the Vancouver VR community, I made this like a home base and I put into VR chat. I don't know if you've seen anything from VR chat, but it's a wild, wild place. Um, But as soon as like we put it up and it was uploaded, they're just people running around in it. Like there's a mech fighting some kind of other dude. There's like a little mouse with three balloons. It was hilarious. Like just all these weird characters were just in the space that I made. We're almost like co-inhabiting my imagination. It was weird.
0: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I had someone contacting me recently on on the Game Dev Grit podcast discord asking me if he could use some of my models from my films or music videos or something for VR chat. I can't, I haven't found them yet, but I just looked it up, but it's so, can you tell us a little bit about VR chat and like, if you know how to make assets for it and get stuff on there?
1: Yeah. So VR chat is a platform where everyone is a little anime girl, uh, regardless of gender, uh, age, uh, that's like kind of the most avatars you'll see. Uh Um, but you can actually be anything like, um, I remember when we did another foray into one of my other worlds, someone was the iron giant. I had to look up, you know, to this 40, 50 foot giant. Like there's another person was a race car. Like you just pull models. Most people do pop culture stuff, but you can huh. be anything.
0: Huh? And so it's just like uploading an FBX or something. That's UV or how, how does it work?
1: You have to upload a unity project file.
0: Oh, okay. but there's templates for it
1: so it's actually really easy like actually making the world you just have to be on the right uh version number and you just download their sdk put it in your project say where you spawn in what's a seat and then like you just upload it it's crazy
0: so does it use the same conventions to let's let's say like a unity humanoid model like is there an asset store for vr chat or is it the same as unity can you just use those regular humanoid models in it or something
1: Exactly. Humanoid. Um, I forget what kind of blend shapes it uses. I think there's only just lip flap, but like uh, people make some pretty expressive stuff. Like, and you can actually also trigger animations. So like if your model has animations and you want to do something weird, like fly off into the sky, people have buttons for that.
0: Well, let's, let's try this for our last six minutes of the, of the podcast. So you have a CG background. I have a CG background. I haven't thought about this much. Throw out some tips, some tactics, some stuff for people who are doing game development who are new to CG. They're using Blender or Cinema 4D, no matter what they're using. Can you throw some tips and techniques and stuff out there that might help them?
1: I guess just starting super rough because you don't know what you need until you actually put things together. Like I'll spend a lot of time finessing some detail that probably isn't going to show up. So I'd say you don't have to make things amazing the first go in particular. I'd say, scale up like just have everything be at the same level and then if it needs more detail go on and fix it up later
0: and i'm gonna throw in since you said scale up get the scale set when you first start your project so you don't make all your models at different scales so lock in your scale early on so that all the stuff you make has like a reference point so i'll bring like the cinema 4d default capsule and i'm like this is my player size and i'm modeling all the other assets and enemies i bring that in there as a scale thing reference
1: You're right. It's incredibly hard to do, even when you know what you're doing. Like, I'll I'll have like, okay, this unit is this many feet, and still I'll mess it up.
0: Yeah. So there's that one. There's a lot of people. Let's say I'd say, because actually, um, Kyle has a bunch of Unity tutorials, and every time I need to like skin and rig something, I go watch his tutorial because I forget, and I'm like, let me go find Kyle's tutorial
1: um my tip actually i forget and i have to watch my own tutorial
0: (laughs) yeah because dude i've done it so many times but i still hate it i hate painting weights so my tip to people is like hey if you don't know mixamo or mixamo is free it has an auto rigger it works pretty good if you have a human if you have a humanoid model try uploading in there and using their auto rigger it might do everything for you and you get a nice humanoid skeleton for unity
1: yeah, and there's so much mocap out there. It's incredible. Just yeah, use those resources because who has time to do all that themselves if you especially if you're making a whole game? Like that's just nuts.
0: Yeah, and me with my animation background, I don't want to animate if I don't have to. So I try to use mocap as much as I can. So I'll go into like Mixamo, and you can upload your own models or the model that you just rigged, and then you can go through their thousands of animations and preview them using your model. And then you can actually adjust them to like the hand placement, the speed and all this stuff. So what I'll do is that I'll upload like let's say all the NPCs for my current game. I'll upload the NPC. I'll have a list of animations that it needs. And then I'll just be resourceful and go through Mixamo. And I might not get exactly what I want. But if it's a little different, I'm just like I'll just go with it. You know, I'm flexible. And then I'll download just a bunch of, you know, pretty much all the animations for this NPC and I'm done. I don't have to touch any of it.
1: Especially if they share rigs. Well, that's the cool thing about unity, the mechanism system with the humanoid models, like cinema, 4d doesn't have that. Like, even if they have like pretty much the same structure, if the rotation's just a little bit off, your mocap, when you retarget is just like completely broken.
0: Yeah. Can so, you talk about that to tell people who haven't, haven't had like CG experience, how lucky we are to have unity with the humanoid system where you can share all the mocap.
1: Oh, it's, it's crazy. So basically, you know, there's I uh, I don't know how many bones in a general human skeleton, but there's a lot. Um, and, uh, What's what's really terrible is if, like, say you accidentally have the bone rotated so that, you know, Z is facing back instead of forwards or something. If you try to retarget data from a mocap suit or another source and the rotation's not the same, you your skeleton's, like, twisted and broken and contorted. It's pretty cool for horror games, but, like, it's not the <laughs> desired result most of the time. So Unity just figures that out for you. It's like, oh, this is a spine; It's bending this way. And it kind of adjusts it to be relative to the... Uh, the phone that's targeting
0: yeah and the the really cool built-in retargeting tools in unity which most of them are invisible they just do it if you combine that with something like Mixamo, that would have been for years and years and years and cg correct me if i'm wrong but you would have to use something like a five thousand dollar piece of software like motion builder to be able to retarget and edit mocap so we have all that for free so i say exploit it
1: yeah, you could use Expresso to build a rig. Like, actually, that's what I'm doing for like. I got an iPhone 10. I'm using that for facial mocap, but you have to like retarget the blend shapes, and like, you can build Expresso rigs for that, but it's so painful because oh, there's like at least 52 blend shapes that you have to retarget <laughs> into this rig. So, yeah, use any tools that uh, do that work for you for sure.
0: Yeah, and I'll also say on the modeling tip. When I first started modeling, I got stuck on thinking I had to have my models all had to be made out of one piece. And then as I got more experience, I just learned, oh, I can just use a bunch of different pieces and then just weld them together. So what I do now, I still do it now, is I'll just go and like, what do I want to build? And I'll kind of like when you learn how to draw, I never learned how to draw, but I've seen the books where they have you break it down into primitives, you know, like a head is a sphere, a torso is a cube. And I'll just go look at the thing I'm trying to model and look at the different primitives and see which one's the closest and then use those for the pieces and then make it a meditable and weld them together together you have any modeling tips
1: yeah i'd say i'd say that using boolean operations so most 3d applications i have bools that can cut holes into things your topology ends up being a little bit sacrificed but uh, it's it's sometimes worth it like to get the the you know a hole in your model or just like nurbs nurbs based spline based modeling if you need to get organic shapes can be kind of fun but it's a little hard to figure out at first but really powerful so i'd recommend it
0: yeah, and I don't know um, what you think about it, but I found like, that Unity triangulates all the models. I found that you still want to go for good topology, but I found that it's really forgiving, especially in it's like smoothing. Um, when you import it, you can apply different smoothing options. I found it really forgiving. Yes. Because uh, you know, in CG, we're all quads, right? I think. I haven't done pure CG for a long time. We try to be. <laughs> Yeah, because like, right, in pure CG, like triangles. Oh, no, not triangles. And then...
1: You can use triangles.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, that's just what I learned. My perspective was like, a triangle, get rid of it. Ah, you know, and I would like redo my topology so I didn't have triangles, but in the yeah, game scrap space... scrap the whole
1: model. Just redo it all. It's one triangle. Get get rid of it.
0: Yeah, and in the game space, it's all triangles, so...
1: It gets to be triangles eventually. Anything like, even the cinema, when it uses GPU rendering, breaks it up into triangles.
0: Oh, does it? Okay, see, triangles are the way to go. It must be, like, yeah, so when you're using something like Game Engine, which is GPU-based, too, so the GPU must, like, talk in triangles.
1: It it does, but the thing is quads are good for deformations, Um, so that's probably why they're used, and they're just nicer to look at.
0: Yeah, don't ever try to weight a model that's built with triangles.
1: No, God, no.
0: No, (laughs) don't do it. And so I think we talked about this in the past with another a programmer who was starting to do design. And I was just telling him about like, I don't think anybody likes rigging and skinning. So if you want to use an auto tool that does it, just do it. Don't think you have to. Yeah, totally. Because I don't know. There probably are blogs where there's people that are just custom skinning and rigging fans. You know, they like get off on this. Look at these custom skin jobs. But um, they
1: exist for sure.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> I hope not, but that's one of the more painful things in the pipeline. Um, so, no Unity people that you're lucky, you have all these awesome tools. And um, so, for our end of our podcast, Kyle, is there any stuff you want to leave our our listeners with?
1: Uh, I'd say if you're making cutscenes, that that scene was it? Scene track that uh, from Ed Films. That yeah. tool just blow, blows my mind. Basically, you can play a game. It'll record even the uh, the bone animation. I don't think the Unity Recorder does that yet, the version one at least. Uh, and then you basically have an FBX of your scene. You can also have like physics, and then you output it. You could put it into a cinematic. I'd say use that uh, if you're making something like a cutscene in a game.
0: And now you just made me think of a new thing. You're using Timeline all day then, right, to build cutscenes?
1: I am, yeah. And actually, the most interesting thing about timeline, because we were both talking about it and how hard it is to program for, what most people do is they actually just make a script that uh, when the object is activated, the script runs. Because in timeline, it's really easy to have an activation track of something that happens when this thing turns on. So that's what we're using a lot of uh, at work.
0: Yeah. Can you give us some timeline tips like do's and don'ts and just useful stuff you've discovered?
1: Well, what I've been doing is um, I make a null at 0, So that way I can just drag a prefab of it into my scene and I know where it lives. And then I make a a timeline object inside that and then a camera. And then um, if you do that, then you can basically, again, prefab the whole system. Like you can have like a folder for lights, like when this shot's active, these lights are active. So you can basically, um, yeah, using activation tracks for every shot. So once the track is, uh, once a shot's happening, that's when you activate everything that's related to it um, in uh, in your kind of null object. So I think that that'd be what I'd recommend.
0: So I just had to do, um, in my game, in the first level, there was the end cut scene, which is like six different locations. So how would you handle that? What I did is I just made five or six nulls and just kind of moved them in space and then just made standalone scenes in those and then just turned them on and off when it went to cut to them. How would you handle something like that?
1: Yeah, totally. That's actually a a great option. Like um, one of the other games I worked on was everything, believe it or not, take place on the same world space coordinates, but they didn't want anything to overlap. You know, so like a stadium, a house. So what they did is they offset them, and so you have these locator nulls that were just like uh, at fifteen hundred by you know zero by fifteen hundred. That's where this scene takes place, and everything was relative to that scene. You kind of have to have uh, that reference point, kind of like a pin. That everything kind of revolves around, and that's why I do this. So I can just drag things in, and if I put it in that spot, everything lines up theoretically.
0: Have you used much of that? Is it called the signal system that Unity built in a timeline so you can control other scripts and all that stuff? Is it signal? I know it was new like to one of the newer versions.
1: Yeah, I haven't used that yet. I would just recommend the uh, writing a script that as soon as it, uh, the object, object on it activates and the script activates, it does something. I think that that's way easier to deal with.
0: Okay, yeah, because um, they built their signal system, and I looked at it, and it seemed over-engineered to me, like it was way too hard to build one of their their signals, and I was like, I don't want to do this. So um, so you're saying, all right, we have like a car that's supposed to do something in the scene, so instead of trying to use timeline to activate and call events and stuff on the car, you just have a custom script for the car that's activated with the car, and that does the work.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd say I, I'd recommend that. Like, we have uh, ones that transition from scene to scene. So, if I'm rendering out a bunch of shots, it'll just like skip to the next, uh, like, load scene file in Unity, like the actual level, it'll load the next one and then render that and then render the next one. So, you can set up these like really crazy, like, systems with just activations.
0: So, if you're using Playmaker, you just have like an FSM on that event on that car and it would just run.
1: Yeah, actually, I haven't tried using Playmaker. with I think it has timeline actions now, but that's one of the reasons why I stopped using Playmaker is it didn't have timeline support. probably does now, though.
0: Okay. Have you looked at, because the... So in my current game, I use both timeline and slate. So I use timeline when they're scripted events that don't require camera control. You know, like walk on this bridge and this thing falls over and there's an explosion. I just use it with simple activations. And then I use Slate for, like, the cinematic cutscenes with camera controls and all that kind of stuff. Have you have you tried Slate much or had much experience with it?
1: I really love Slate. Um, I actually prefer it over timeline because there's so many tracks that are custom suited to uh, basically yeah, cut scenes. Like, there's blend shape controls. You can set, like, you know, expressions like, I'm angry, I'm sad. Um, it's uh, it's got a lot of hookups to, like, stuff like lip sync and, uh, and rogo. um this is a great, I'd recommend that. That's a really good approach. The reason why I'm using Timeline is just, it's robust. You don't need to import anything into a new project. And it's just basically there. It's, it's going to work most of the time.
0: Yeah, and for the decision-making process, I'm using an older version of Unity for my main project, 2017.3. So that version of Timeline doesn't have some basic functionality, I think, like audio scrubbing and stuff like that.
1: Oh, yeah so,
0: yeah, so if you're going to use Timeline, you probably have to use, like, 2019, right? One of the newer ones that has all the stuff built into it.
1: I just lose track. Like, as soon as I look up there's a new version of Unity, I'm like, oh, man, what's in this one? I don't know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it I'm... It changes
1: so fast.
0: Yeah, when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, I'll use Timeline, because, you know, it's a built-in one. But there were some basic things that were not in the version that I can use for my version of Unity yet. Um, and Slate had them all, and... I think it was the scrubbing or the preview stuff that I just really liked um, Slate a lot more for. And kind of just the UI, I just found was like, as a filmmaker coming from that background, it, it made more sense to me.
1: It's really nice. It's, it's very well thought out.
0: But they're both pretty awesome tools to be able to have, you know.
1: And essentially a free program. It, it blows my mind still.
0: Yeah, so have you used it like have you used timeline or slate to produce any of like your video stuff on your for your own stuff
1: i just do memes uh with it <laughs> i don't do anything <laughs> substantial. well I, what i've been trying to uh, set up is basically a mocap system using vr tracking because the vr tracking is like millimeter accurate it's really 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 good um so my idea is like i'd love to get a virtual set and actually, there's applications like Mindshow, which is really incredible. Basically, you just do a T pose at the start, and then it knows, okay, that's roughly your skeleton. And then you get to be a cartoon character, and it records you for like 30 seconds, and then you get to watch yourself from outside your body acting as a cartoon. And then you get to be another cartoon and act with yourself. So can, it's just like I, you can make a film within like 30, you know, like two minutes.
0: Wow. Can you use the mocap as is, or do you have to clean it up and massage it?
1: Well, that's the unfortunate thing is most of these applications, like uh, there's Flipside and Mindshow that I know of. Um, I think in the Discord, uh, Lycon was, and that one will give you an FBX, but these other ones just give you a movie. You basically go in with a camera after the fact and kind of record things and just spits out a 2D image.
0: Yeah, because isn't that like a dirty little secret of like mocap setups? Like having your own mocap setup is like you have to clean it. Like you have to clean up the recording
1: For sure. Yeah. I have a perception neuron and it's really, really cool, but uh, it's a lot of cleanup, a lot of drift because it's all accelerometers. Um, Whereas this is actually more optical based because it's using the uh, lasers on the Vive. Um, So, but even still, like because you're using an IK kind of mocap rig where you're pulling the joints along by like you're kind of contorting the model based on IK constraints. So it's not, you still have to do some cleanup, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, that's something that um because, you know, if someone if someone animates something by hand, you know, they're going to have their keyframes, they're going to have their little breakdowns ins and outs, but they're not going to have as many keyframes as like a, a raw mocap does, right? Cuz it keys every frame or
1: Totally. Yeah, it's like people just nuke it like, "Oh, I got to change the animation here. Just nuke the entire arm cuz like you don't want to fight against it.
0: <laughs> you have to just get rid of it." Nuke yeah. and pave. So, I would think that would be a nightmare, you know, be having to change like raw mocap. But there's some tools, like have you seen UAnimation, um, U U Animation Pro, it's a Unity asset. Have you seen that one where it allows you to take in animations, FBXs in Unity, and then you can apply animation layers on it to change it and then save it out as a new one?
1: Yeah, I actually have that one. It's really cool. So but yeah, the idea is that, but you're animating on top of it. So if like, having to counter-animate what's happening underneath things can get a little i'm sure there's a way you can just kill that but keep the keyframe data there must be
0: yeah i was just thinking of because i i own the U Animation pro as well and i use it um if it wasn't too dirty or messed up if you wanted to make minor changes without nuking it yeah it's so it's a lot easier to you can add stuff but you can't really take it away
1: yeah yeah it's it's harder to but uh, i'm sure there's a way to do it i haven't really invested a lot of time in that i just buy things when they're on sale <laughs> i forget to use
0: them <laughs> yeah me too so hopefully um if you have any if you didn't know kyle or anyone else out there if you have any coding questions if you're trying to learn programming or any of that stuff we have a coding forum um or list or thread or whatever in our discord and please post any questions issues you know problems you're having in there and then someone will try to help you and So because I'll just say as a person who came from designer to programmer, it opens up a whole world of stuff that's out there that if you don't know how to program, you can't use like all these GitHub repositories are just kind of useless to you. But then once you learn, it's just like, oh, my God, you know, so.
1: Yeah, people are making tools for themselves to make things and they're sharing them, which is wonderful. Like, for instance, on GitHub, I think I saw this Unity, a better actor, which is Essentially, yeah, cinematic template for timeline. It's uh, based on oh uh, nav mesh, you Navmesh here, the actor nav meshes, and then wave. Yeah, I posted so like, that
0: in the Discord. I went through that guy's repo, and he also had a what did he have? He I used his. He had like a griebling tool, where because you know what greebling is your CG person. So I love griebling. Yeah, so he made this tool. It's free on, on that same guy's repo where you just get like a box collider and then any geometry in it, you just feed it a bunch of prefabs and then you just press like set and it will randomly spawn them in the cracks and crevices of your geometry. Um, Man,
1: that's a, that's a dream come true.
0: <laughs> yeah, he did that one and he also is doing a s- actual screenplay to timeline tool. Did you see that?
1: Whoa, that sounds great.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's in that same guy's repo who's doing a better actor. So you can take an actual screenplay, like movie screenplay, and it'll turn it into a timeline with the cameras, and it looks at the number of words in the action, and so it kind of guesses how long it should be, and it puts the actors and everything.
1: That's definitely the power of this stuff is like, because I brute force things, I just like do things over, and you did too, obviously, animating a film, you have to set that stuff up every time. To have a tool that does it for you, is incredible.
0: Yeah, that guy, you should probably contact him or something. He's doing a bunch of cool stuff. I think he's, I don't know, he might work at EA. He's somewhere up in Canada. Um, oh, I
1: don't know if I ran into him.
0: <laughs> yeah, but he's doing, like, cool, like, bridging the gap between, like, film and games and trying to do that, which, yeah, it's really cool.
1: Yeah, that's so, the big thing, learning how to make your own tool. Great.
0: Yeah. So, thanks for being on the Game Dev Grit podcast, Kyle. It's a pleasure having you on here. And... Um, we'd like to have you back on with your future projects. You're doing stuff, so keep us updated on what you're doing.
1: Thank you. Likewise.
0: So, until next time, Gabe and Dev Grid Podcast, goodbye.